Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. In last week's gospel, Jesus called us to take up our cross and follow him. Now, in this week's gospel, he promises us that his yoke is easy and his burden light. Do these promises seem to contradict one another? We're going to talk about it with Peggy Stanton. She's the author of From the White House to the White Cross. She's a dame of the Order of Malta. And she was ABC News' first female Washington correspondent. She has hosted many programs on Ave Maria Radio, including the Malta Minute with the Catechism. And Peggy, good to have you again. Thank you, Al. It's good to be here. This this picks up some questions that uh, arose last week during our conversation. I know. (laughs) It was as if if the Holy Spirit was listening in on the conversation. (laughs) And said, I've got some answers for you this week. Well, let me, let what, me, yeah, go let, ahead. Go and ahead, and, and I'll read it. And then uh, this is, again, a familiar passage. Matthew 11, verses 25 to 30. At that time, Jesus exclaimed, I give praise to you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, for although you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, you have revealed them to little ones. Yes, Father, such has been your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son wishes to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden light. So... Again, <laughs> yeah, I, it, it, how heavy is oh, the cross? Oh, yeah, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how heavy is that cross? That's, that's yeah, right. the question I have here. Right, yeah. right. Well, and, and uh, you know, as we said, he, we were, the two questions that we felt moved to ask were uh, why when our Lord is uh, talking to adults and seemingly to refer to them, mm-hmm. why does he use the term little ones? Right. And then we also wondered, in lieu, as we're wondering right this minute, of uh, the difficult challenges that Christ demanded of his disciples, how could he assure us that his yoke is easy and his burden is light? And if you recall, Al, we just kind of speculated yeah. on those answers. We weren't sure of it. Sure. Um, you know, and I consulted several Bibles, uh, the Didache, the Ignatian Catholic New Testament Study Bible, and the Divine Mercy Bible, and in all three cases, I was fascinated to see, rather than use the term little ones, which is used in in, um, the Magnificent Hmm. um, translation, uh, they use the word infants. Um, and and uh, as far as I could see, Magnificat uses the New American Bible yeah. with revised New Testament and Psalms. And that's what we use in, in the liturgy, yeah. Right, right. Um, but the Didache, although it did use the term infants, uh, in its commentary, which is based on the Catechism, says Christ refers primarily not to children, but to those who with childlike faith accept humbly Christ and his teachings, the poor in spirit, for Mm -hmm. instance, who rely on God's providence to provide for their needs. So paragraph 544 in the Catechism uh, says the kingdom 
belongs to the poor and lowly, which means those who have accepted it with humble hearts. Jesus is sent to preach good news to the poor. He declares them blessed, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And to them, the little ones, the Father, he says, is pleased to reveal what remains hidden from the wise and the learned. Jesus shares the life of the poor from the cradle to the cross. He experiences hunger, thirst, and privation. And Jesus identifies himself with the poor of every kind and makes active love toward them the condition for entering his kingdom. In paragraph 2603 emphasizes this point in part when it says, Jesus confesses the Father, acknowledging and blessing him because he has hidden the mysteries of the kingdom from those. Well, did we lose Peggy? Um, Paragraph 2603, I'll just keep reading it. uh, It emphasizes the point that when it says Jesus confesses the Father, acknowledging and blessing him because he has hidden the mysteries of the kingdom from those who think themselves learned and has revealed them to infants. Who are the infants? The poor of the Beatitudes. And I think this is it's inter- it's fascinating to me that uh, in Jesus' language here, he's really making a point uh, about little ones, infants, in fact, um, who are about as... Uh, <laughs> you can't, you, infants are not cynical... <laughs> They're not connivers. They're not figuring lots of things out. Uh, They are the image of the pure heart. Um, Now, uh, in paragraph 2785, Peggy points out that it salutes a humble and trusting heart because that heart enables us to become like children. And it's... uh, little children that the Father reveals himself. Again, that's always interested me, too. Um, the The child re- relates to the Father, in again, in such a pure way, in such a trusting way. And also, depending on the age of the child, the child doesn't mind asking questions. Uh, it, it isn't as though... Uh, Children don't ask questions. They do. But they're satisfied with the fatherly answer. Uh, They trust. They trust. And we've got a humble and trusting heart that we're trying to uh, develop here. And I I do think that in this passage, when Jesus is saying, Yes, Father, such has been your gracious will. Uh. In other words, this revelation of the kingdom to the little ones, the infants, the children, this has been your gracious will. And then he immediately says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wishes uh, to reveal him. Uh, I mean, that's mysterious stuff, isn't it? But I, I do this first sentence, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, I think this is, again, Jesus is uh, not spending a lot of time explaining this statement, but if you look over the Gospel of Matthew and the storyline there, uh, you can think that it probably is referring to the divine authority 
that Jesus is wielding in the world. I mean, he possesses teaching authority that ranks him above Moses. That's over in Matthew chapter 5, 21-46. He also has a healing authority to cure sicknesses, cast out demons. And he does that in, in Matthew four twenty three, Matthew 8, 3, and, and also in verses 13 and 17 of chapter 8. And he's also invested with spiritual authority because he can forgive the sins of others. That's in Matthew chapter 9. So when he says, all things have been given to me by the Father, certainly he's referring to this divine authority that has almost a, a triple a triple cognate to it. He, he's got teaching authority that ranks him above Moses. He has healing authority, casts out demons and cures sicknesses, and a spiritual authority that gives him, uh, allows him to forgive the sins of others. So it's even more remarkable and we're trying to get Peggy back with us here. Even more remarkable is the relationship Jesus claims to have the Father with him. I mean, his very identity as the Son, um, that's in the absolute sense in relationship to the fatherhood of God. Those are not just roles that are being played. That's their very essence. He is the Son to the Father. That's one reason we talk about the eternal generation of the Son. Um, There are some Christians who think the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are simply terms employed uh, functionally. Uh, Some even believe that Jesus only adopted the word Son when he submitted to the Father during the Incarnation. But no, uh, that is not what the Catholic Church teaches. Uh, God is Father. God is Son. God is Holy Spirit. And what we have here is, uh, again, uh, we are getting the Father and the Son reveals the Father to us. Peggy, are you back with us? I am, and I wondered. I was just spouting away. I didn't know we had gotten disconnected. <laughs> and I thought, gee, Al is quiet. <laughs> Where did he go? I was, then I thought, then it dawned I was on trying me, to maybe. fill in. <laughs> We were probably echoing each other without hearing each other. Right. Where right. are you? <laughs> well, let's see. I'm look, taking a look at the clock here. I I do think um, you mentioned uh, Monsignor Pope in your notes. Right. And l- I think that's a good place to go to because, again, he goes right to this question of the yoke being easy right. and his right. burden light. That was one of the questions we asked last week. So tell us a little bit of what Monsignor Pope lays out. Yeah. Um, how much time do we have? We've got about three minutes here. Oh, okay. Um, well, I thought he made, particularly at the end of his uh, column, so I'll skip some of the uh, uh, beginning part of his column and, and try and get this in in three minutes. Okay. Uh, the uh, humility and dependence upon God, Monsignor Pope writes, by extension means that our treasure is not here. Our treasure is with God and the things waiting for us in heaven. This eternal outlook will help many of our anxieties go away. Then the Monsignor enlightens us as to exactly what a yoke is and how it fits the gospel. He says, a yoke is a wooden truss that makes it easier to carry a heavy load by distributing the weight along the wider part of the body. Think of an animal pulling a wagon with a wooden frame across its chest. 
Jesus is saying that he has a yoke for us, that is, a cross for us. He is not saying there is no burden in following him. Jesus also says that the cross he has for us is easy. The Greek word, krestos, is better translated as well-fitting, suitable, Hmm. or even useful. That makes a difference, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. The Lord is saying that the yoke he has for us is suited to us. It is well-fitting. Customized. Yeah, right. God knows that I might quarrel with him, but never mind. (laughs) God knows that we need some crosses in order to grow. He also knows what we can bear and what we are ready for. The problem comes when we, uh, this is wonderful, the problem comes when we start adding things of our own. We put things up on our shoulders that God never put there. Yeah, yeah. We undertake projects, launch careers, accept promotions, and even enter marriages without ever discerning if God wants this for us. Sure enough, before long, our life is complicated and burdensome. We feel pulled in many different directions. But this is not the my yoke to which Jesus referred. This is largely the yoke of our own making. Of course it's not easy or well-fitting. Jesus didn't make it. I love this line he puts, so stop yoking around. (laughs) And and honestly, um, I've heard this message in my prayer lately, Al. Simplify that very word. Take only... Jesus yoke. Yeah. If you do that, your burdens will be lighter. That's that's excellent. That's excellent reflection on it. Uh, in the in biblical and Jewish uh, tradition, a yoke is often a metaphor for religious instruction. So, in some cases, hmm. the yoke represents the commandments of the Torah that define oh. what it means to live in covenant relationship uh, with the Lord. Um, And in other places, it represents the counsel of divine wisdom that guides us. But I love this idea that the yoke is customized. Mm -hmm. It's well-fitting and suitable and useful Mm -hmm. for us. And that makes it uh, the burden light. Well, I'm glad I was able to get the yoke in. (laughs) (laughs) All right, you even got the pun in. All right. (laughs) Thanks, Peggy. Thank you. (laughs) 